Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, September 4th. This is the weekly market update. So anything that you hear and see in this video or hear on the podcast is not to be taken as investment advice. I am not a financial prof professional. I am a guy on the internet. Most of you don't even know who I am. Please do your own due diligence. It's your money. It's your responsibility. Okay, this is liftoff. Um, we were anticipating the beginning of the Sprott effect, what would happen with the Sprott Uranium Trust. I think there was a lot of speculation as to the effect it would have on the Uranium price. And I think we're beginning to see that it's safe to say that it's exceeding everyone's expectations. Uh, this is a five-year chart. And you can see that you know we're in a bull market. One thing I would have you note on here, notice the volatility in the uranium price. I would suggest to you that more than likely this uranium bull market will be like the last one. It'll be very volatile. Don't get bucked off. And what do I mean by that? I did a video this week uh, I'm sure most of you probably have already have seen it, but if you haven't, I'll put a link in the show notes. It is a video with Justin Hewn, uraniuminsider.com. And we talked about the more in depth on the Sprott effect and what was going on in the uranium market. And one of the things we talked about is when to sell, how to sell, the volatility in this type of market. And, you know, it's an individual matter. Obviously, some people are going to try to trade this. I'm not going to do that. Um, I think Justin has the same view. I was look, listening or looking at tweets by Kevin Bambro on Twitter. He's a former Sprott guy that was around for the last bull market. I'll be putting a link to uh, one of his Twitter threads, which I suggest you read. Um, and you don't want to get bucked off this thing. Why? You know, Longtime subscribers or got people that have been with me for a while know we've been in uranium at way lower levels. We were in uranium three years ago. We have positions in the portfolio that have appreciated 650%, 400%, 300%. And we bought and hold those, held those. We added on pullbacks. Um, that's what you do in a bull market. And we understood that it was a bull market because we understood what uranium is, why it's essential, and that, you know, as Doug Casey said, a gold bull market is very frenzied. It's like the contents of Hoover Dam trying to go through a garden hose. Because the uranium market's so small, he characterized a uranium bull market as the contents of Hoover Dam trying to go through a drinking straw. And so that's what we're seeing now with the Sprott vehicle. This thing has really, it's really shocked me about how, what, what's happened just in the last couple of weeks. Um, will it continue? I have no idea. It's unknowable the future. We know that we're in a bull market. You can see this chart. You can see the volatility. Um, this is starting to be a little bit reminiscent of the last bull market where uranium just went up every day. And... You know, it remains to be seen what's going to happen. Obviously, there's a lot of 
interest now going into this. So, you know, we didn't, I didn't talk about uranium for like a year. I mean, there wasn't really much to talk about. The thesis was stagnant or shrinking supply, increasing demand. At some point, they intersect and the price goes up. Um, and we're there now. We have this catalyst, if you will, this uh, basically this vehicle that's going to be created. I think it was created specifically because of this. I think people that knew what they were doing, especially at Sprott, maybe some other folks in the background nudging them, um, maybe some hedge funds that will, I mean, I don't know that for a fact, but, uh, you know, this vehicle gets set up and it's the final chapter before liftoff, you know, the forcing of to surface that 100,000 pounds here, that couple hundred thousand pounds there that in that spot market and pull it off and finally get some real price discovery. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, it's kind of interesting that the price spike took place recently because, you know, Labor Day's on Monday. People are coming back from summer break, including our friends, the fuel buyers at the utilities. And if we, you know, quite frankly, I'm quite sure we're going to bust into the 40s next week. And it's going to start drawing attention. This is going to become newsworthy and it's going to start drawing attention. People are going to be like, okay, is it going to stop at 40? How would you like to be a fuel buyer that's held off on buying fuel or sign a long-term contract? And this thing just starts going up every day. We're going to get into why I think in a upcoming charts here, why I think that this thing is taking off and it has, it has a chance to go parabolic fairly quickly. So this is the flywheel effect. This is an article. There's some excerpts from an article, Harris Kupperman Adventures in Capitalism, um, a blog that I think you should follow, a guy that has made me a lot of money. Uh, I've known him and followed his writings for many years. This guy is uh, a lot more right than he's wrong. But anyways, there's an, uh, he wrote an article um, that made the case that this move in uranium could be similar to the, the move that happened in the grayscale in Bitcoin last year because of the grayscale Bitcoin trust. And let me just read some of the quotes here from the article, link in the show notes, I suggest you read it. Last summer, I recognized an odd phenomenon. An obscure entity named Grayscale Bitcoin Trust was slowly cornering the free float in Bitcoin. Over time, much as I had predicted, the inflows drove the price of Bitcoin and ultimately GBTC dramatically higher. Earlier this year, I had a well-timed exit for a quick multi-bagger and my capital went on to greener pastures and depressed energy assets. I bring this all up as I see a similar phenomenon in uranium, a much smaller and less liquid market potentially creating a more dramatic effect should inflows accelerate. And this was written in conjunction with, you know, the Sprott vehicle basically coming online and starting to suck up material. And it was the same situation uh, when he was tweeting about GBTC, you know, people were tracking how many Bitcoin, the, uh, the Bitcoin trust was hoovering up every day, every week, it just, it just kept increasing over time as the price of Bitcoin went up. And so um, it's not a similar exactly situation. I mean, it's not an exact situation as what's happening in uranium, but it's very similar. And actually, it's much more bullish if you read the article. So I will put a link to that. And, you know, that's why I call it a flywheel effect, right, guys? This thing's breaking out now. It's starting to get attention. 
Um, you know, one of the things I was talking to Justin about and something I was talking to somebody else about today on this matter was, you know, at the last bull market in uranium, we didn't have social media. I think the only thing we really had was like Yahoo message boards. We didn't have Discord and Reddit and, you know, Twitter and all the other social media that people have now where information can spread so quickly. I would suggest to you that, you know, a move can happen fairly you know, things get compressed, timeframes get compressed on when things can happen. That's, that's the point I'm trying to make. And buying begets a higher price, which begets more buying, which begets a higher price, rinse and repeat, and you have a self-fulfilling prophecy. And with this market, you got to remember something, you know, the demand for uranium uh, each year is 180 million pounds, rough, roughly. At the current price, even if it was uh, 40 bucks a pound, it would only be like a $7 billion a year market. That's nothing. That's nothing. That kind of money moves around. I mean, look at the market caps of some of these crap coins. Look at some of the market caps of some of these large companies. Look at you know, some of the things that went on just recently with like GameStop and AMC, the, the tens of billions of dollars that have flowed in and out of these things. And if any of this comes to this uranium market, which I'm going to show you why I think that's going to happen, um, you're going to have, you know, you have a potential for this to, you know, you blink three times and, you know, all of a sudden you're at 60 or $70 a pound. And here it is, right? Uh, the Wall Street bros are coming. So this is just a screenshot of Wall Street bets on Reddit, uh, 10.8 million followers. And guess what? A couple of days ago, they had a big article about uranium and about the Sprott Trust. And if you read the comments, the interest is building. So as I said, as, as things make new highs, as there's price action, as that shiny object gets real, that shiny object gets real past those fish, they're going to, they're going to come into this market. We know they're going to, they like when things move, they like action and action begets buying, which begets the higher price, which begets more action, more information flow on the internet. Look at Google Trends, put uranium in. Everything is going in our direction now. The patience, the sitting, grinding it out for three years, waiting, buying on pullbacks, you know, doing all the mental gut checks that we had to do. It looks like the payoff is going to come now. And the Wall Street bros are going to come in and bring a ton of liquidity. That's going to happen. Um, this is the Kevin Bambro guy I was talking about. I follow him on Twitter. Like I said before, you really need to cultivate a great Twitter uh, collection of people that you follow. This is a guy that used to work at Sprott Asset Management. He was around for the last uranium bull market. I think he helped put together UPC uh, back in the day. And uh, he even says this the other day, uh, yesterday in a tweet. This is a long tweet thread. He has several tweet threads, but he's talking about, uh, if you go back and read through his tweets, um, this is a guy that's been around. He knows what he's talking about. He was around for the last bull market in uranium. So what's he say? More thoughts on the official Wall Street bets crowd jumping on the uranium trade. Wall Street bets laid out the obvious uranium bull market story well on Reddit a couple of days ago. 10 million followers. And you can see in the market, they are now taking action. So uh, I'll put a link to this Twitter uh, feed. You should look at it. There's some strong language in there. The guy is who he is. I don't have any problem with it. Um, he's been here before he's seen it before. Uh, he's pretty wise on, and he, he 
does have, he has no compunction. He has no, not, no filter holding him back saying that 150 or $200 a pound or higher is possible or likely in this bull market in uranium. Um, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of things are, are kind of similar to the last bull market, but not the same. You know, we didn't have a huge deficit like we have now in the last bull market. And like I said before, the other thing that's affecting things is we have so much liquidity out there looking for returns. We have so many uh, people now that are on Robinhood and trading at their fingertips. The communication networks are so much more developed, like I said, via Reddit, Discord, you know, Facebook, all these things. I mean, if this thing gets going, it can get going, it can move fairly quickly. And like I said, the market, the market cap of all the uranium is only, you know, six and a half, seven billion dollars. The stocks, all of the uranium stocks, I mean, a lot of them are up 50% in the last couple of weeks or just this week. Um, this is what we were talking about when generational wealth can be created. Now, things are overbought. And this is very volatile. This is going to be a very volatile market. That's how it is in these in these type of markets. So you're going to get a lot of roller coaster up and down moves. Um, I would suggest you scale. And if you don't have a position and you want to get in, you don't just go all in, push your chips in. That's not my advice. Scale into your positions. There's going to be sell-offs. Take advantage of them. That happens in a bull market. Recall the video I made about a month ago where I showed a chart of a company from the previous bull market, Forsyth Metals, I think it was. And over the span of the four or five years of the, mar of the bull market that happened uh, in the last uranium bull market, that stock had, I think, four or five, maybe it was four, I don't want to say five, four drawdowns of 50% or more in its rise when it went up, you know, thousands of percent. So understand that. Uh, be ready for it. It's going to happen probably here. Uh, nothing repeats exactly, but the volatility will be there. But the one thing I think is really different this time, and we really can't forecast how much of an effect, how much will the Wall Street bros when they come into this thing and bring all their billions from crap coins and GME and AMC, whatever else they're playing with, and, any of that, and if a large sum of that money comes in here and becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, and then this is all before any of the utilities wake up from their 10-year slumber and decide that they need to start you know, signing contracts. And one of the things Justin put out as a risk is that this thing moves so high that they start seeking legislation that they're being you know, financial manipulation. You know, you know how this works. Um, this is the free market in effect. It's a deficit situation um, and they're going to have to pay. They're going to have to pay whatever the cost is because you know, if your choice is paying $150 or $200 a pound for uranium or having a multi-billion dollar asset just sit there uh, and, and not be able to run, there's no other fuel you can use in there except for uh, nuclear fuel, which is uranium. So I think it's finally coming together. Um, I'm not even, I'm, I'm not throwing caution to the wind, but I think we have liftoff. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens next week. Um, it's just going to be a developing situation, but I think finally the ultimate catalyst now, you know, all that kindling, we've built up all that kindling, that brush pile, we've poured the kerosene on it and flicked the match in the last couple of weeks. And now we've, this thing's, this thing's taken off. So, um, I'm pretty excited. Uh, I don't want to be a pumper. 
Uh, we've been on this thing since day one. We were one of the originals on this a long time ago. And a lot of people left me. A lot of people uh, didn't want to wait. They couldn't wait. Their personality or whatever. And they sold and they moved on to other things because this was boring. I don't think the last two weeks have been very boring. And I don't think the ne- uh, upcoming time is going to be very boring. So if you don't have a position, scale in. But uh, hold on, because uh, this is going to get really exciting. I'll put links to the uh, Harris Kupperman article, the Wall Street Bets article, and uh, Kevin Bambro's uh, Twitter feed, and you can read uh, some of the stuff he has to say. Like I said, this is a guy that's been around and, and did it before. Uh, one thing I will point out, and one of the reasons why I love FinTwit, here's a guy, I think he only has like six or 700 people I don't really know anything about him besides this. This guy has built a public document on Google Docs, and I'll put a link to it. And he updates every day the amount of money in the action that happened on the Sprott Uranium Trust. How many pounds were bought? How many shares were issued at the ATM? It's real-time information. He gives the daily and the cumulative amounts. And this is why I love it. This guy just decided to do this on his own. So what I'm asking you to do is I'm going to put a link to his Twitter feed, go to his Twitter feed and follow him. Let's give this guy a boost. Let's tell him thanks. He's doing this. He's not charging anybody for it. He's collating all this data and putting it together. And uh, let's get it out there. Let's retweet it. And let's get this guy boosted up. Then we got to take care of people that take care of us. And this is why I like FinTwit. This is a perfect example. This guy's out there doing this work, maybe as a labor of love. I don't know. I don't know this person. But uh, I think it's really cool. This is the kind of cool stuff that I, and why I, why I do like Twitter. So this is Ian Castle's a guy I really like to follow. He's really got a lot of wisdom. He's a pretty good investor. He invests in a lot of micro caps, a lot of gross stocks. And, you know, why do you want to build wealth? I mean, I think this sums it up. The goal of financial independence is to stop being dependent on others, bosses, clients, a schedule. Wealth is measured in autonomy and flexibility, not money. That's exactly right. Do you own your time or does somebody else own it? Is your time being spent doing the things you want to do or that are important to you or what somebody else, what's important to them? And that's kind of my goal. I'm kind of feel like I'm fine in my calling, you know, is to try to help people realize their financial potential vis-a-vis investing. Because I've made so many mistakes young, when I was younger, and I'm trying to coach and mentor people. And I still don't have all the answers. It's a continuous learning process. But I wish I would have known what I know now when I was 22 or 23 or 18 or whatever. Because time is your greatest asset. When you're young, building wealth, if you can accumulate wealth, so you can go off and do the things that are important to you, your family, if you want to volunteer, if you want to fix the world's problems, whatever it is you want to do, devote time to God, whatever it is, you can't do it if you're stuck in a cubicle for eight to 10 hours a day, every day, working for people that most of the time you're probably smarter than and detest. And I know the feeling, okay? I, I, I've been in that situation. And that's why I want to help people build wealth. That's why I want people to be successful. Yes, I have a newsletter business. I believe anything that is worth doing is worth doing for a profit. I mean, it is what it is. 
Uh, but you know, I, I answer a lot of emails. I try to help people. I'm willing to talk anytime with anybody, uh, be interviewed by anybody to discuss anything with anybody regarding these matters, because I want to learn and I want to bring, I want to impress upon you young cats, especially don't waste time. Okay. These opportunities are coming along, take them seriously. Don't make the same mistakes as other that we keep pointing out that I've pointed out in the past, you know, and do things for the right reasons. That's, that's my message of this slide. So more and more information is starting to line up about the, what I consider the upcoming energy crisis we're going to have. Um, here is a translated article from Yandex, which is uh, basically like your Russian, you know, Google, if you will. So Russian Minister of Energy, only half of Russia's oil reserves are profitable at $50 a barrel. So there's some highlighted uh, things here. The production of about half of the oil reserves in the Russian Federation at the price of $50 a barrel are unprofitable. It is worth focusing on working with the current resource base, Deputy Energy Minister Pavel Sorokin said in an interview with Izvestia newspaper. Even in our current structure of reserves, a significant part of it is unprofitable at $50, about half. In general, everyone has restored their production to the pre-pandemic level, all things being equal. And if there are no shocks, the equilibrium price, we think, is in the range of $55 to $60. Why is this important? Because oil demand is going to continue growing. We're recovering our oil demand back towards that $100 million barrels a day, it's going to continue to grow past there because of India, China, Vietnam, all these places, Africa, which hasn't even really even started developing yet. Okay, energy, as I've said for years, you've heard me say it ad nauseum permeates every activity we do. Okay. And now we're, you know, this is important. Why? Well, we go to the next slide. Here's another guy I follow. He's pretty good. Javier Blas. This is, very, this is a very important trend. Russian oil production fell again in August, dropping 0.5% month over month to 10.43 million barrels a day, according to official data. With that, Russian oil output has been flat to down for the last five consecutive months. Additionally, within OPEC, six out of the 13 member countries were unable to increase production in August, according to the monthly Bloomberg survey. So we have, this is interesting, right? We've talked about this before. Exxon Mobil, several years ago, put out a paper uh, that they considered worldwide depletion to be about 6 to 7% a year, okay? So notwithstanding the fact that demand for oil and gas grows every year, well, besides outside of the like pandemic type situation, in a normal year, that growth for oil demand grows about one and a half, one to one and a half million barrels a day. You've still got to go out and find and develop another six to seven million barrels a day just to replace what was depleted. So you're in a normal year where you're adding, where you're accounting for depletion and adding new production to support the new demand. You have to create, you have to find and put online a new Saudi Arabia every year. And we know for a fact that we've had hundreds of billions of dollars of underinvestment over the last few years. So this is what we're starting to see. Okay. We're starting to see that a lot of the 
easy produced oil, the cheap oil has been produced. Um, oil prices are not allowing, have not allowed for sufficient cash flows to be developed, to be recycled in new production. And now we're seeing that even though the quotas have been increasing, you know, OPEC has said that they're going to raise production or allow production to increase 400,000 barrels a month each month going forward. Can the, can the OPEC members, can they actually pump that oil? Is the call on OPEC going to go unanswered? And what does that mean in the context of a world economy that's recovering, in a, an economy that's going to have higher oil demand? Or even if oil demand doesn't grow like I, like I think it will, which, which I, I doubt, you know, energy transitions take decades. And so this is why we're starting to see maybe this is just an anomaly. I don't think five months is an anomaly. I think that if you don't put money back in, and at some point, you know, you have to ask the question, are they at a situation where there is no more 50, 60, 70, $80 oil to produce? And that the only oil that they can produce like is $100 a barrel oil. So you see what the potential problem is and you see what the potential opportunity is and why I've been banging the table on this. We are heading for a full-fledged energy crisis. I don't know the exact date, but you can see it starting to build. And like I said, I am long-term bullish oil and gas. Natural gas, does any, is anybody paying attention? That's 460 in MCF. It's, and we haven't even got into the winter. And we have continuing reports to come out of various places around the world that, there are, is, that gas prices are high in Asia. Europe has record gas prices. Injections in the U.S. are not staying where they need, not getting to where they need to be to prepare for the winter. And like I said, I'm, I'm forecasting based on the weather forecasts that I use and the people I follow on forecasting, the projection is a winter that starts sooner and is going to be longer and colder. So prepare for a spike in natural gas prices. And you need to be looking at, if you're interested, at unhedged gas producers, if you're willing to, if you're wanting to take advantage of that. You know, we've mentioned the name many times. It's not our idea, but we've made a lot of money on it, and I still hold it, Sandridge Energy. Uh, so take a look at that if you're interested. Gazprom, which is the Russian gas behemoth, is selling that 10-year uh, highs also. So something's happening out there and the mainstream is not paying attention. This is why you got to be on Twitter. This is why you got to follow people that have these little niches. That's all they do is follow these little nuances. Okay. So maybe, you know, if oil gets to $80 a barrel, the Russians can increase production or maybe OPEC countries will respond, but there's been a lack of investment for many years. I mean, the whole oil service sector, oil and gas service sector has been decimated. So who's left to come back and look for more oil or drill and complete wells? That whole industry has been decimated. It's went through basically the worst depression it ever saw over the last, you know, five years. And so those muscles has, have atrophied. So I think this represents, along with uranium, obviously, you know, you can't kiss all the girls, but represents the biggest, it's going to be one of the biggest transfers of wealth in the history of man. Because you're sitting, you're the lone guy sitting on the other side of the canoe by yourself while everybody's talking about this, you know, this fascination that technology and 
uh, high tech, that's all going to save us, right? No, no, it's not going to. Um, if you don't mine it or you don't grow it, you ain't got it. And I build renewable energy parks, solar and wind, and it's all based on fossil fuels. I'm not out there with a crane that runs on solar panels. It runs on diesel. All the trucks that bring all the stuff there, which are hundreds of truck deliveries, okay, a week, uh, those are all powered by diesel. The ships that brought the stuff from China are powered by marine fuel, okay, petroleum. Get it? So maybe 10, 20, 30 years down the road, magic will happen. But over the next couple of years, you're going to have an energy crisis and prices are going to go to, in my view, because of the underproduction and because you're dealing with a extractive industry, i.e. minerals and oil and gas, if you don't find more, you eventually go out of business and the price will go up to cause, to incentivize producers to produce more and to tell consumers to stop using less. So high prices cure high prices and low prices cure low prices. But we're seeing more of this. You know, they said, go ahead and pump more. There was a chart I saw the other day. It was uh, Angola and Algeria could not increase production. They were allotted together another 250,000 barrels uh, in the month of August, and they couldn't meet the quota. So at $70, it's over $70 uh, Brent, they don't want to pump. They're just going to leave that money on the table. Or is it more likely that they haven't been able to make the requisite investments because of a period of low cash flows and their depletion is now starting to bite into the production? I think that's probably the more likely scenario. So this is another chart. Don't ignore this. This is what causes revolutions. Um, I'm fortunate and I feel fortunate that I have sufficient uh, wealth or money to buy food that I need and support the people I need to support. But I don't know how people are surviving. The cost of certain things in the, in the store shocked me. I mean, and I don't consider, you know, everything is up massively. And, you know, if you're in a first world country, there's still people here that are living on the margin. And you can imagine what's going on in a lot of the developing world where, you know, a large portion of a family's income goes to buying food to sustain them on a daily basis. You know, you can read, read into this, you know, sometimes 50% or more of a person's income goes just in buying their food. And so when food prices go up like this, um, we've got food prices at the highest in a decade. This is how you get revolutions. This is what kicked off the arid spring. It was not a desire for democracy. It was because um, subsidies for grant for bread and things like that in Egypt were taken away. And people were, you know, harassing farm, uh, the fruit peddlers and farmers in Tunisia. So this needs to be watched. Nobody's paying attention. And I can tell you one thing, if diesel, if oil and gas prices go up, the price of food is going to go up because basically industrial scale farming is nothing but the conversion of hydrocarbons into calories. So get ready for it, folks. It's coming. Um, can keep locking people down. You can keep having the government disrupt the economy and there's going to be a price for it and it's coming. So here's uh, Ole Hansen, another guy that I follow. Um, I'll put a link to this because there's a lot more charts than this. 
But here's what his tweet says. Uh, you know, another record in European gas prices on a tight supply outlook just one month before the beginning of the European heating season. Emissions also hitting record as utilities burn more, burn more emissions intensive coal. That's right. That's what we've been talking about. That's why coal prices are at a decade high because there's not enough gas or the gas is so expensive. So they're switching where they can back to burning coal. So they have to buy more emissions credits. So, you know, when a butterfly flaps its wings, how many things get affected? And this is what, you know, perfect example, secondary and, you know, you know, third level effects that no one thinks about when they say, well, we're just going to, you know, I guess you better just build some more wind farms that, that you know, you better get hot because uh, winter's coming. And, you know, it's, this is, this is opportunity for us. You're not going to change it. It doesn't matter what you think about. It doesn't matter what I think about it. It is what it is. The investment that's necessary to provide the energy that we need has not been made for various reasons that we've went into many, many times. And so we're going to have higher energy prices for a long period of time to enable either conservation or enable new technologies to displace oil and gas or to curtail consumption. That's just that simple. And there's going to be a tremendous wealth transfer during that, and it's going to be inflationary. So I think this decade is going to be a very interesting decade. Let me put it that way. Okay, guys, uh, that's it for this week. Links to all these great things. A lot of, this is really fun now. It's starting to get a little fun for me. Um, I don't want to talk about my own portfolio. I was stunned. I don't look at it every day. I'm busy doing other things. I'm trying to put content out. I'm trying to build this business up. Um, you know, I looked at my portfolio and I was stunned. I mean, it's things can move pretty quickly and you can add the wealth that's going to be added here. Please give this consideration because it's going to change has the possibility of changing your life and your future generations. I don't say that lightly. Um, it's going to be possible to do that. And I think people are going to be shocked at how high these prices go and what we, people that are positioned correctly. I mean, basically nothing's happened for three years and I have most of my portfolio stocks are up, you know, hundreds of percent uh, as regards to at least the uranium stocks and our oil stocks have still not performed. They're still, they're still lagging greatly. Uh, based on the current oil price and the cash flows that these companies are generating. And, and, and a lot of people say, well, you know, companies aren't buying. I don't care if BlackRock and pension funds of New York and California don't want to buy my oil stocks. The cash flows will be sufficient that the companies will buy their own stock in. I'm patient. Okay. I'll be the last shareholder that sells. So um, nothing goes forever to the top. These aren't buy and hold forever stocks. But we're, you know, in a good port, port part of the cycle when it comes to oil. And like I said, I think we're going to move higher and uh, higher than most people think. So um, just want to plug the newsletter. We've got a lot of opportunities in there. Um, we've got, I think I'm highlighting three, three stocks, I think, that you can we have moved pretty good that are more longer term investments that aren't that are away from the natural resource sector you can buy all three of those including the current month's um uh stock pick at substantial discounts to net asset value so uh and they're very all three of them are, have very compelling stories 
and uh, are going from uh, bad situations to a lot less bad and certainly seeing a re-rating. You know, one of the companies you can buy uh, for almost like a 50% discount to that asset value, one 30%, another one at 30. And they're very, very interesting stories that have long-term growth uh, potential. So if you're interested, you know, you can always go to Patreon and chip in five bucks and you'll get the current month's stock pick if we have one or the, the most recent stock pick. That's a one-time deal. Um, and you can check out my writing and if you think that my ideas are, are suitable or something you would be interested in. So uh, feel free to avail yourself for that. All right, guys, links to all this good stuff. It's a long weekend. Happy Labor Day. It's the end of summer. Time to go back to work. Time, you know, it, we got to get, we, this is just all coming together perfectly. Let's, uh, let's do some studying this weekend and let's get ready for some uh, interesting times. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks.